So uh, this morning, um, we're continuing in our series, The Community of the Gospelized, the series on the church, like Anne mentioned. I do want to mention, um, I'm sorry that it's uh, quite chilly in here today. So uh, old church like this, um, that we are so blessed to, to be uh, a part of and be here. Um, but we have to kind of choose like a day to turn the heat on. And if we do that too early and then it starts getting like into the late 60s, 70s or something like that, it gets really dreadful in here like in this kind of late October. So we kind of got to pick it. I'm sure uh, 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 we'll, we'll, be, we'll be turning it on. I think there were also some, um, some issues with the, the boilers uh, after the flooding that we had. Oh, yes. Namely, that they don't work after the flood that we had in, uh, in May, right? Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll get to the bottom of that. We'll get to the bottom of that. Bundle up in the meantime. Um, so, yes, we're continuing in our series, The Community of the Gospelized. And we are now in week like six or seven or something like that. I actually forget. Um, so <clears throat> to kind of go through where we've been. So far that we've learned, we've learned that the church is a confessing community. We are a community that is built on the confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We learned that the church is a Jesus-centered community. See, we follow him, not the other way around. And that means that we take joy in the things that he takes joy in. We lament the things that he laments If something makes him cry, it should make us cry. If something makes him laugh like a a child, it should make us laugh. We are a community of individuals, each called to take up our crosses and follow him. In week three, we learn that the church is a commissioned community. We're called to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded, knowing that Jesus will never leave us, and we boldly embark on this mission to advance the gospel. We also learn that the church is one community. No matter how many local manifestations of that one church there are, no matter how many denominations there are, there is now and always only ever has been one church. And a few weeks ago, we heard from Chris Skinner, who reminded us that Jesus, the the stone the buildings rejected, is actually the chief cornerstone. Whatever we build, we do so by following Jesus. And then last week, we heard from Gary Stashik, wasn't Gary great, Um, who walked us through John's gospel in order to show us that we are actually called to participate in this gospel message. In a sense, we're like an embodiment of the gospel message in Christ. So at this point in the series, we're, we're going to kind of take a bit of a more practical turn. We've laid sort of a theological foundation of, of like what it means to be the church. And now it's time to talk more specifically about what it looks like to be the church. We sang this morning, they'll know we're Christians by our rockin' bass line. They'll know we are Christians by our love. 
Today we're thinking about the topic of hospitality. This is a topic which might seem to some like a minor thing. Many people like to define hospitality in a variety of ways, and some are particularly fine with this belief that hospitality isn't something that they are particularly called toward. Some think that showing hospitality to others is something um, that only those with a spiritual gift of hospitality really do. And I hope that by the end of this sermon, we'll put that lie to rest. You see, I think if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to play a role in welcoming others. As I mentioned in our Inu Hope a few days ago, I love how the author Shauna Nequist puts it. She says, hospitality means, godly hospitality means that when someone leaves your home, they feel better about themselves than they do about you. I love that. And in regards to the church, I'd add that hospitality means that when someone visits New Hope Community Church, when someone worships with us and spend time in our midst, that they would feel better about themselves and better about Jesus not necessarily impressed by anything that we've done because we're only following him. So a call to quality hospitality, a call to excellence in regards to hospitality is a call to live out in very practical terms Jesus' command to love God by loving others. I have several heroes when it comes to hospitality. Um, I won't single anybody out in this room, but I do have several people in this room who I just am overwhelmed at their gift of hospitality. Whenever I walk into their home, I just feel like, oh, it's like, this is, this is great. But the person who comes to mind, first and foremost in my mind, is actually my father. My dad has this almost effortless ability at making you feel welcome from the moment you walk into his house. So he's an amazing cook. So the first thing that hits you as you walk through the door is the smell of whatever it is he's cooking. Maybe it's like a, like a bacon-wrapped chicken breast stuffed with pepper jack cheese on a rotisserie that he has going. Maybe it's like a beef tenderloin that's in the oven. Maybe he's making a, a pot of dirty rice or, or a pot of mashed potatoes. He absolutely hates buying anything from the store that he could make on his own. So, so most likely... If it was a Sunday afternoon dinner, um, he's probably been preparing that food for hours. And as you make your way further into the house, he, he, he yells this like jolly, hey, you know, jolly hello. And he embraces you when he sees you. And there's probably music playing. Most likely it's, it's like John Prine or the Allman Brothers. And, and he beckons you into his kitchen where he shows you this feast that you're about to eat. And maybe you stay in the kitchen, maybe you grab a drink, you talk with them, or maybe you make your way into the living room and wait for dinner to be ready. And on a, on a Sunday like today, there, there would, of course, be a Ravens game on. But no matter where you were in the house, you felt like you were cherished by the host and his family. Here's the funny thing. His family, you know, we would be around, of course, but <clears throat> you could tell 
that he didn't just do this every now and then when his kids came to visit. No, no neighbors would periodically drop by knowing that if a game was on that there would be dinner soon. And just like they were his family, he'd beckon them in. Even if they just knocked unannounced, he'd beckon them in and make sure, hey, yeah, come on, come on in, get yourself a plate. He lives in West Virginia now, but for years he lived in this shoebox apartment on Taylor Avenue he, that just consisted of a kitchen, one bathroom, one bedroom, and the living room. But being there on a Sunday afternoon was one of my family's favorite places in the world. Dad continues to show me how to live out our text for this morning. Paul, in Romans 12, you can turn there if you'd like. Paul's actually doing a similar thing that what we're doing, moving from a rather theological discourse uh, through Romans 1 through 11. And getting into Romans 12, he starts kind of laying out how all of this, this deep theology that he's been talking about, how all of this cashes out. Romans 12, verse 9. Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The word translated hospitality comes from the Greek word phylloxenia, which means love to strangers. So Paul is kind of giving them this two-sided coin of love here. Yeah, you're supposed to contribute to the needs of the saints, presumably those you know, but you're also supposed to show love to people you don't yet know. You've probably heard of xenophobia, the fear of strangers, the fear of someone different than you. This is like the opposite of that. You're not just supposed to extend hospitality to those that you know and love. You're supposed to show that same love to everybody. And that's not all. That's not all. If that wasn't enough, Paul says that your love is to be genuine. It actually is supposed to be real. It's not just supposed to be something that you do because you're playing the part because you think that's the thing that you're supposed to do. No, Paul is saying, I want you to act not only look like you're loving other people, I want you to actually love other people. See, Paul is drawing on something deep within the Hebrew faith um, this is something that, of course, Jesus was drawing on in that parable of the Good Samaritan we heard earlier. This idea that the people of God are to love those who are both inside and outside the camp. If you want, turn way back to, to Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, starting in verse 17, 
Leviticus says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay, so we treat people we like, the people who are in our community, like we actually care about them. Makes sense. Hopefully it even makes sense that we're supposed to love them in our heart, meaning genuinely, not just playing the part in front of others. But then later on, Leviticus says this. In chapter 19 again, started in verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This isn't the only instance of this, remember? Repeatedly throughout Scripture, God again and again and again and again and again reminds his people that they are to love strangers who sojourn into their land. Repeatedly, he reminds them that you are to treat others like you were treated by God, not like the world has treated you. Israel was lost, strangers in the land of Egypt, enslaved by the powers of this world, and then God, with a mighty hand, steps into history and offers deliverance because he is a faithful God. Therefore, even though the powers of this world seek to exploit the stranger, oh, you follower of Yahweh, you are to love them. You are to welcome them. You are to show them hospitality. You're showing hospitality to them when they are in the land that was, by the way, given to you by whom? By God. This theme is continued in the New Testament in a powerful way with Jesus. You see, like the song says, once we were strangers to hope and to God, but he brought us near by his son's holy blood. I, I, I was a stranger to God. I was dead in my sins. I was an aimless wanderer. My father responded to that, though, with a mighty hand by sending his son Jesus to invite me to this heavenly banquet. And then, and then he does this incredible thing. He not only invites me, a stranger, to a banquet of his kingdom, and he not only tells me, hey man, come on in and grab a plate, he tasks me with inviting others. In Luke 14, Jesus is having this a dinner at the home of a ruler of one of the Pharisees. At, at one point in the dinner, Jesus turns to the man who invited him. And he says, um, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In short, Look not just to offer hospitality because you expect others to give it to you in return. Instead, 
we might say that we are called to practice grace. When you receive grace, you are getting something you don't deserve, like the love you receive from God. See, God doesn't love you because you deserve to be loved. He loves you because that's who he is. Offering hospitality to another is a way that you can practice grace. There are a thousand ways this plays out in the practicality in the life of a church. The principle of a grace-saturated hospitality will affect everything from the quality of the coffee we serve to the color of the paint on the walls. It will affect our parking lot. It will affect our children's ministry. It will affect how we serve those inside our body and how we reach out beyond those doors and help those in need. As stewards of the gospel message, we believe that the primary need of anyone in this world is knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ. But as James tells us, if all we do is preach the gospel without ever attending to the material needs of others, we've not understood the gospel. The good news, the gospel message is that God is putting this world to rights through King Jesus, and he is asking us to live into that narrative. As such, we're called to create an environment here that is welcoming, that is loving to all, an environment where people can come and hear the good news of Christ and then grow in a community that will fuel the fire of their faith. See, my vision for New Hope Community Church is that we would be such a place a place that is sold out for God and dedicated to serving others. With that in mind, I'd like us to consider kind of three principles of hospitality that are crucial for us to live out this call as a church. Number one, we need to remember that God is the one that grows people. You see, it is the Holy Spirit that moves in the life of a person who has given their life to Christ and God draws them closer to himself. I think of a, like a tree, like the one right outside. Trees are great. I love trees. If I wanted a tree, though, to grow in my yard or here at the church, I, I need to know that no matter how hard I try, I can't make that tree grow. Even if I exhaust myself in trying to put, pull the tree Maybe I'll climb up on the tree. Maybe I'll like yank it out of the ground or something like that. I can't make the thing grow. Even if I exhaust myself trying to pull on this tree and make it grow bigger, all I will do was drain will do all I will do is just drain my energy and I may even hurt the tree. No, the only thing that I can do is to make choices to help that tree live in an environment conducive to growth. First of all, I might have um, some say in where the tree gets planted. Am I choosing a place that is optimal for its growth? Second, I could properly cultivate the soil. I could add or drain water to make sure the tree is getting the right amount of moisture. It may even help to choose certain kinds of, of quality mulch. 
I looked up on, I googled like, what are the things you need to do to grow a tree? Anyway, in short, I think I, I, I need to think about what I actually have control over rather than what I'm trying to force my will upon. See, God grows people. Our job is to create an environment here at New Hope Community Church that is an environment conducive to discipleship, that is conducive to worship, that is conducive to sacrificial service, that is conducive to community. What choices are we making to help this place be a hospitable place to guests, a place that focuses on them and focuses on Jesus, not on us. When someone comes to New Hope Community Church on any given Sunday, is it as if we expected them to be here? This leads us to our next principle, that hospitality, quality hospitality, must be anticipatory of the needs of others. What do people need when they come here? Well, first of all, they need to know that they're welcome here. This is why we have a welcome team. This is why we have ushers. This is why James and Brian and and others are ushers in our midst because they are here to greet folks and offer them a bulletin and tell them where they need to go and what times things start. If you're interested in maybe being a part of the usher team, they might need some help. So if God's maybe tugging on your heart a little bit, think about that. I mean, my gosh, one of the most important things that we could possibly do to make sure that a person feels welcome, just because we're not making this stuff up, we're human beings, and we know what other human beings need, especially American human beings in our culture. We know that one of the most important things that we could do as a church to offer a hospitable environment is have clean bathrooms. I mean, really, have you ever thought how important to the gospel a clean bathroom is? Are we preaching? I mean, and moving on from bathrooms, I mean, also thinking about, you know, being a part of our American culture, responsive to the culture that we find ourselves in. How many people in here appreciate a cup of coffee in the morning? Yeah, coffee seems to be a pretty popular thing among, you know, American humans. Um, and... Generally, that's who are going to be coming through our doors. So it would probably make sense that when we're trying to create a hospitality ministry, that, yeah, quality coffee would be a very important thing to offer somebody because coffee, it just smells like hospitality. That's Coffee is what hospitality smells like. You can Google that. You can uh, Twitter that. So, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed... But Bruce Cumber, God bless him, has been a dedicated servant to our hospitality team for years. And he's had help with people like Liz Hale and Caleb Chastain. But I don't know if you've noticed, they do it every week. And so maybe we need a little bit more of a rotation maybe a schedule on who does the coffee and who gets the donuts and things like that. Maybe so Bruce doesn't have to do it every week. I'm sorry I'm putting him on the spot. 
But, oh, goodness, maybe there's somebody, maybe God's whispering into somebody's ear right now. You know what? I could serve on a hospitality team. Maybe even if I don't, like, come early and help set up, maybe I could give a, give a hand with the cleanup. Maybe I could at least do that. We think about another need that, that, that as we expect people to come, we're, anticipatory, we're anticipating people's needs. Um, there have been times... Uh, in the life of our church when there hasn't been um, a boatload of little ones. Uh, right now, it's not one of those times. We've just had an influx of babies, which is awesome. But regardless of whether we have an influx of babies or not, we should always have a loving area where a person, a parent can come and know that they can sit in quiet, they can sit in a comfortable chair, that there's diapers and that there's uh, wipes and that there's the things that they need. Oh, oh, your baby is, needs something, your child needs something. We, we have a room because we anticipated that problem. We anticipated that you would need that and we created this room for you. Please come use what you need to use. These are just a couple of examples, a couple of of practical things that we do to try to make this place an environment that is welcoming, like we expected guests to come. And of course, all that leads us to the third point, is that I had a a friend in in one of my classes that would always talk about how her pastor would, would constantly ask their congregation, how joinable are we? Uh, our church. How joinable is our church, is our community? Um, if we ever get to the point where it feels like sh- coming to New Hope Community Church is like um, showing up at somebody's, uh, coming to somebody else's family reunion, we have a problem. It's great that New Hope is a community church, that we're family, that when you come to New Hope, you can't quite tell which kid comes with which, goes with which parent. I love that about our church. But we always need to be asking ourselves, how joinable are we? When was the last time you invited someone to church with you? When was the last time you said to someone, oh, you just got it. You got to meet these people that I worship with on Sundays, these people I'm in community with. If you've been hesitant to do that, I just ask you why? And maybe that's something that we as a community need to wrestle through. Maybe we need to have a conversation. You know, maybe we should have cushions on the pews. Amen? You know, maybe that's a problem that we can solve. I don't know. Let's talk about it. But I know that we need to do it together. Uh, Together we need to think, how joinable are we as a community, as a church? Because, of course, I want to boldly say, I would love to see our church grow. And also... How joinable are our house churches? How, I mean, it's just, it's so incredible to see the power that a living room can hold. The, the reason why we do house churches um, is that uh, we want people to do, we want to do ministry in the environments where people actually do life. And it's great that we come here on a Sunday. It's great that we come here for, for particular events and we come here to worship and we come here to gather. But, oh man, I love it when we can study the Word of God in somebody's living room and to be able to have a joinable environment where we're welcoming other people into that 
handing them a cup of coffee or a drink or some food, inviting them to the table. That is something that is so precious, so precious to the life of the church. What choices are we making in our small groups? What choices are we making in our church to be a joinable church? Kind of the eternal sign, I think, of this hospitality that we're talking about is the Lord's Supper. It is the banquet. It is the, the, the table that all of us are beckoned towards, the, the table that we come to because we practice grace, right? We come to the Lord's table because Jesus has shown us this incredible grace and love, and it is embodied in this meal. So we're going to close our time together today with communion the Mass, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Our communion table at New Hope is open to all of those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, if you're not there yet, if you haven't yet made a decision for, to follow Jesus, you need to know that we love you. We want you to be welcome here. We want you to think of New Hope as a place where you can come, not having to hide your doubts or your questions when we take communion, you shouldn't feel obligated to participate. Feel free to just have a few moments of silence in your seat. I will add this, though. Communion is one of two sacraments that Jesus instituted. The other is baptism. Baptism is a public declaration of your faith. So if you find yourself coming forward for communion and you've yet to be baptized... That's okay, but I'll ask you to consider coming to me later to discuss the possibility of making your faith, making a public declaration of your faith soon. The bread is unleavened, the red is wine, and the white is grape juice. And after coming forward, I'll ask that you take the elements back around to your seats where we'll all partake together. First, though, I'd like to invite you to stand uh, and join as churches throughout the centuries have done in the reading of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, 
With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.